0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Battlefield networks that reconfigure themselves to maintain communications even in contested environments. That's what a new DARPA contracting opportunity is all about. It seeks a control layer that works by itself so warfighters have less distraction. Here with the details, program manager Dr. Mary Shergott. Dr. Shergott, good to have you on.
0: Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell us about this program that you have going. Uh, what is the goal of, it's called the Mission Integrated Network Control, or MINK, MINK with a C. What problem are you trying to solve here?
0: You've got it, yeah. MINK at a very high level is about getting the right data to the right user at the right time. And what we've done is dissected that into three sub-problems. So the first sub-problem is about discovering network resources that would allow us to compose the network to get that data to the user. And then the second focus area is about knowing how to configure those networks to enable that path to get the data to the right user. And then lastly, we take a mission integrated approach to the system composition. So from a mission perspective, how do we map those mission objectives to network objectives that allow us to compose that network and orchestrate that network?
1: So the implication is that in a given situation, a given military situation, there are many ways for the water of data to flow. You just have to make sure they all stay connected, even though they might not be the same network.
0: Exactly. I really like that analogy. So with mink, it's not only, you know, how much water should flow through the network, but what are the individual components on how to connect that network together and to tune those control parameters associated with those network resources.
1: So is the problem then that there might be many alternate ways of getting the communications needed from point A to point B in a battle situation, but it's that the people involved, the warfighters, have to manually reconfigure constantly, and that's a distraction?
0: Yes. Having to manually reconfigure, having to initially configure a network based on mission needs is very challenging and cumbersome to the warfighter. Mink would allow for adaptation and flexibility even once the underlying network has been deployed.
1: So you're not looking to develop a network, but looking to develop some kind of an orchestration or control layer for a series of networks.
0: Exactly. So within Mink, we constrain ourselves to the existing networks that are out there, including legacy systems. We want to make better use of the legacy systems and networks in order to achieve mission objectives.
1: So from the warfighter standpoint, they just know that they can keep talking or communicating and they don't have to worry about broken connections because this system, MINK, will take over and make sure that the word gets through.
0: Exactly. And what's a little unique about MINK is it can also recommend movement of communications assets. So to your point earlier, you could be in a situation where there are many possible paths to take or on the you know, at the other end of the spectrum, not having enough paths. So the the MINK system could recommend to the operator or the warfighter to move a particular communications asset to a particular location to enable that connectivity.
1: Yeah, so a little predictive component so that you don't go blank for a while while the reconfiguration goes on.
0: Yeah, you got it. And, you know, there's certainly a predictability and forecasting component to Mink.
1: And just as a side question, there is an overarching network architecture that DARPA is pursuing called Mosaic. What, Just briefly, what is Mosaic and how does the mink program you're working on fit into the Mosaic?
0: Right. So Mosaic Warfare um, is an overarching concept uh, within DARPA. It's really getting away from tightly integrated, brittle systems of systems to adaptive, flexible uh, systems of systems you know, just as the name implies, you're, you're going away from a, a tightly integrated jigsaw puzzle to a mosaic where you can bring together warfighting capabilities more flexibly. And then the MINK um, program fits within this portfolio addressing the networking and communications aspect of Mosaic.
1: We're speaking with Dr. Mary Shergott. She's a program manager in the Strategic Technology Office at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. And you also mention in the literature connected to this software-defined networks. And I guess that's kind of necessary for a network or a series of networks to be able to be reconfigured. They have to be software-defined in the first place?
0: Yes. Yeah, so software-defined networking comes from the commercial world, and it, it's a concept that allows for network programmability and reprogrammability. It really streamlines the management of networks. So as the demands on a network change, the network can be easily reprogrammed to meet those demands. Um, So within Mink, we employ this model. In contrast, we really have to reimagine software-defined networking within the Mink context because in contrast to the commercial networks or in contrast to commercial networks, Mink has to deal with heterogeneous radios, heterogeneous networks, and heterogeneous protocols, whereas with commercial networks, those standards and protocols are very well-defined.
1: Sure. So basically, mink and mosaic are designed for messy environments.
0: Yes. um, With the mosaic concepts, we can bring in optionality and diversity and adaptability.
1: And from a program standpoint, it looks like from the SAM.gov listing that you are going the contract route to come up with this mink program. Why why a contract and not grants and have a bunch of people compete on it?
0: So... The broad agency announcement for mink is out currently as you as you just mentioned um, mink is really viewed as a systems program so at this point we don't um, envision mink being a fundamental research program uh, but we are you know highly encouraging teaming amongst academia commercial and defense including small businesses Mink is really bringing together many different technologies where a diverse set of performers uh, will really Will really be needed.
1: Is there anything commercial that exists that emulates this or that looks somewhat like Mink? Because I imagine some of the big content distributors or whatever must have self-healing and readjusting networks to keep their service levels up.
0: Right. And, and we talked about software-defined networking already. Uh, there are additional concepts from the commercial space. Another one I like to point to is something called intent-driven or intent-based networking. Uh, so with intent-driven networking, From the commercial space, the idea is to go from a business objective or a business intent and then autonomously be able to configure your network based on that business objective. Within Mink, again, we want to reimagine some of these commercial concepts and within the uh, intent-driven networking concept, really think about intent as mission intent. So how can we go from mission objectives to network objectives and certainly, the the commercial sector would help inform that.
1: It sounds like this could lead to perhaps a system where f- cell phone calls don't get dropped all the time.
0: <laughs> yes, I- ideally. <laughs>
1: right. Well, we can we can always hope. And in the meantime, what's your timeline for this? What's uh, when do you expect to have something tangible?
0: Right. So the as I mentioned, the BAA is out now. We're you know, eagerly awaiting the proposals to come back at the end of June of 2021. And then we'll get, you know, get the program kicked off in FY21, FY22, and then it'll be a four-year program.
1: And who evaluates the proposals? Does this take place entirely within DARPA or do you bring in a grizzled old radio operator to maybe help you?
0: Yeah, we get a team of uh, subject matter experts. Uh, So, you know, we, we evaluate the proposals within DARPA and bring in Uh, teams of reviewers.
1: All right. Mary Shergott is a program manager in the Strategic Technology Office at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thanks, Tom.
1: We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
2: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama Administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me.
3: And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to
2: the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about
3: Uh, in america and certainly within me uh about the importance of being empathetic uh in uh in in the way i lead to be inclusive uh to be uh uh, to to lead in a way uh in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community so it certainly has been a challenging year uh to adapt uh but i'm happy to say that uh i'm still here and we're moving forward
2: (laughs) perfect
3: that I have uh, my willingness to to fight for change, and that was that was a beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. A very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life, and and it conjured up again these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is, and but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community. uh, of of them, of, of what I could.
2: That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who was the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them?
3: You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that, that attribute I think is one that, that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic uh, despite the challenges despite by the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I, I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King.
2: Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background in federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. um, What comes to mind there?
3: Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees and, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet, or snow, uh, who bring innovations but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the secretary of commerce and I, I, my office was on the floor at the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And and that may be something that uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they they those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and 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 so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do.
2: Rick. Thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today.
3: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
2: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care.